I, I guess I am by no means a counselor, and I don't have a counseling background, and I don't pretend to be. But one of the things I learned, the more that I talk with people and talk with many of you in some serious situations, um, the vast majority of people would, would give anything to hear something like that from their dad or their mom. Um, there, there, are, there are human beings who literally never become who they could be because deep down they're, they're missing that thing. Um, and so when we, when we walk through Genesis and when we walk through Scripture, you see a God who tells us, I want you to be a people of blessing. And this is not just father, son, this is spouse, this is friends. The, the, the New Testament in its vision for the church is a people who will use their words to bless. And it's become very much a lost art. In, in scripture, it's all over the pages of scripture, blessing. And there's even somewhat, we're going to look at this today, uh, somewhat of a pattern to the way blessings were given. Um, and, and, and simply a culture in scripture of blessing. And, and we, and I think specifically in America, that focus much more on doing and progress than we, we've lost the art of the blessing and if we're going to become the people that God has uh, called us to be we need to work on this and I know it can be especially with family of origin stuff can be very very difficult to use our words to bless we'll talk about that a little bit more okay um, Genesis 27 can I have my outline up there uh, please well, we're going to start with, with Genesis 27, and I just want to make mention of, of that. That's a book right there, The Blessing, by John Trent and Gary Smalley, two renowned counselors, Christian counselors. And, and a lot of at least the, the structure of this talk today um, comes from some of the principles in that book. I highly recommend reading that book. I read it in about two settings this week because it just so much good stuff for, for life in, in, and um, by people who know what they're talking about with story after story. So I, I want to strongly recommend this. Now, Genesis 27, if you want to follow along, um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to be doing a lot of that this morning. <coughs> Not that I don't every Sunday. Um, huh. One of the gifts my father has passed down to me the incessant cough. Uh, so I'm going to start with um, verse 26. Chapter 27, verse 26. Now, now there's a larger scheme, and, and read this on your own. I don't have time to talk about it this morning. Um, uh, Jacob is going to steal Esau's blessing, and it's clear in Scripture that in this day and time, it was an expected thing for the father to sit with his children and bless them. And it was believed that there was a sort of supernatural power to the words of this blessing. It was binding in their thinking and perhaps in reality. Um, and, and so there's this intimate moment and there's trickery. So some of this may not, but, but I just want you to focus on the blessing itself. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. 
So he went to him and he kissed him. So there we see physical touch in the blessing. And that's going to, we're going to see how it's not just here. That's a part of the pattern in scripture of blessing. There, there's, there's physical touch. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son, like, a, like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So there's a physical comparison here, and we see this in a lot of the blessings in, in Scripture, like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Now, that's kind of weird, but it wasn't to them because they were outdoorsmen. And so he was calling his attention to something very valuable. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. So he's using his words also. There's physical touch, there's spoken blessing, and here there's the, there's the forecast of a blessed future, of a special future. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. There's a moment later when the other brother comes in, in verse 34, and says, Bless me too. Bless me me too, my father. And, and you see this agony in, in the other son, Esau, when he realized that Jacob has taken a blessing that was intended to be him, it, it, to be his, and his heart is broken. He just, bless me too, dad. And, and I, I read that. I see the power of this moment. I hear so many people's stories. Um, I, I've been very fortunate in that, in that both of my parents um, are, are excessively mushy, especially around birthdays and Christmas, and I get cards flowing with blessing. Um, but you just see that deep, deepest parts of the soul craving blessings. And I don't think this is just true from our parents. I think in general, we are desperate for blessing, reminders that we're loved and that we matter. Now, I, I think uh, I'm going to talk about why not. Before we get into the, the physical breakdown or the actual breakdown of, of the blessings in so many scriptures, um, there are a few things that I see in people and in myself when we don't use words because I, I know that for many people, this stuff is like pulling teeth. There are a lot of things you would rather do than to look somebody in the eye and bless them and encourage and uplift. And I, I think that one of the reasons is for some people, it's just genuine apathy. I mean, some people just don't care. They don't care about other people and have no desire to use their words to build up. And that's, that's some people. I don't think that's many people who struggle with this, but for some people, truly, they just don't care. Uh, others, there's a kind of vulnerability, and this is in Scripture, in the Hebrew language, uh, when you see the word bless, a blessing, it, 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 the, the etymology of the word, the background of the word is that of, of bowing the knee. It's, it's like this imagery. You're, you're giving worth to somebody. There's a bowing of the knee. And, and in that, in and of itself, is, is a kind of vulnerability. 
And I don't profess to understand all the psychology behind it, but I know that, that sometimes, and then you probably had this, where you know you should need to tell somebody good job or, or, up, or, or give somebody some kind of blessing, and, and you like, you're going to start, and then you don't, and you're going to start, and then you don't, and you're working through, and you're practicing whatever in your head. Uh, there's just a certain kind of vulnerability to follow through with what Scripture says in blessing people. There's a bowing, there's, there's a little bit of a fear. And then, and then for others, we think that our words just don't matter. This is one of my struggles in life, that why would they want to hear a blessing from me? Why would they want to hear a good job from me? And depending on your own inner workings, it can be very difficult to believe that your words really matter to the life of the person. And, and what I can say biblically is, God doesn't care what you think about that, his command is that you encourage, that you uplift, that you bless, that you use your words powerfully to impact and encourage the lives of others. There are plenty of places in scripture where God just says, encourage one another. So we have to do this. And then finally, one of the things that, that I notice and that, 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 that they spend a lot of time in the book talking about is... Um, Usually, if this is, is excessively tough for you and, and you just really have a tough time, whether it's with your children or your spouse or your friends, saying, hey, good job, well done. Hey, you know what I really appreciate about you? This. If you have a difficult time with that, it's probably because you were not blessed by either your parents or your peers. And, and I've just I've simply seen that to be true with, with so many, um, either socially were somewhat of an outcast and didn't feel that blessing or from your parents and so it's just very difficult because it calls you to some of the most intimate places in life to actually give the blessing. Alright, now I want to quickly move down because I really want to bring Brian back up and then talk about some other things. Uh, these are some of the characteristics in so many of the blessings in Genesis and Scripture. So much, so much so that I think we really need to, to look at the pattern here. And, and the first has to do with touch, just appropriate physical touch. So Isaac calls Jacob and says, come and kiss me. Then Jacob, later on, we see these moments when he blesses his children and grandchildren, and they almost always carry with them some kind of physical touch. He puts his hand on his grandchildren's head, or, or he, he pulls them tight and, and kisses them. There's some kind of physical touch. And here's the thing, and this is one for me. <clears throat> I cringe even just saying this. Because like with my kids, my wife, no problem. Oftentimes if I'm in arm's reach of them, hands on. But th there's a kind of intimacy in this that, that, but when we look at the life of Jesus, so much of the language in the New Testament is that of Jesus touching people physically. And, and what we need to realize is in ancient Jewish culture, uh, this is a statement in and of itself. Because in ancient Jewish culture, you didn't touch. Uh, there was a strong belief that, that, that the things were clean and unclean, um, holy and common based on where they'd been and what they touched. So I don't know who sat on that seat. I'm not going to touch that. And I don't know where your hands have been. I'm not going to shake. I mean, there, there just was a, 
there was a real aversion to physical touch, but Jesus at times would, would stop a parade, so to speak. He would stop a procession to say, hey, I'm making physical contact with this person that is unclean and was fine with people knowing that. There, there's a moment with, with children in, in Mark chapter 10. It says, Jesus took them in his arms, blessed them, and laid his hands on them. Jesus was big into the physical touch side of things in blessing because I think nothing shows affirmation and approval more than physical touch because when you're not okay with something, you don't touch it. Which implies that when you touch, when you shake hands, when you hug, um, there, there's a love, there's an acceptance there on a basic human level. There's a place where the Apostle Paul, and I don't know what to do with this, and I'm not suggesting that we start it. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I know in other cultures it's very common that that's just the typical greeting, you know, at the side of the face kiss. Um, but, the, but there are churches, I had a professor who, whose church was so um, focused on being obedient to the letter of the law that they had elder discussions about how to apply the holy kiss thing. Like, uh, how does a man give a holy kiss to a woman? How long is it appropriate to give a holy... What is a holy kiss? Is it a... It, it, I don't want to start that. I, I really don't. I get sick enough. <clears throat> but my point is that when the New Testament forecasts life as a church, it, it's a life filled with the blessing of physical touch. That's an important part of being obedient to the life of blessing and encouragement that God has called us to. Now the next part of all this is, is the actual use of words. Because you notice in Jacob and Isaac, not only is there a hug, but there's a verbal blessing. And, and so much of, of Scripture commands that we use our words in meaningful ways to encourage and build up. Yet I know so often in churches and elsewhere, whether it's the family, the spouses, friends, whatever, there, there, there's just a real lack of intentional words to bless. A real lack of, I love you. Now, I grew up in a household where, I mean, we still to this day, you don't hang up the phone without saying, I love you. That's just part of the family rules. Um couple of things that I hear. <clears throat> One is that I don't need to say it, they know. I don't need to say I love you, they know. And, and listen, that may be true. But for me, that's like saying they can live on 1,200 calories. They're fine. While that's true, there's still a failure to thrive. It's like, yeah, they, they may know. But things are going to go a lot better when you actually speak it. Because i got to say, when you think about Brian and Tyler today, Tyler will never forget today. There's, like, there's a very real difference between the rest of Tyler's life and yesterday from Brian sitting up here, not that he doesn't use words other times, but, but from working through all that, wow. We need to be people who use words to go the extra mile to be sure. And then the other one is, is um, if I say I love you too much, it will just cheapen it. 
And, and that, that's, well, that, that's crap. There's just, there's not an ounce of evidence to that. There, there's nothing that you're going to go anywhere and find any proof that if we say it too much somehow, it means less to the person. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. If you were to take um, the counselor's offices around the state of Ohio, <clears throat> line up everybody who's been in a counselor's office in the past month and say, I want you to step forward if you feel like somehow your deepest issues go back to your relationship with your parents. A large number would step forward, okay? And you'd say, I want you to step to the left if you didn't hear enough, I love you. And I want you to step to the right if you heard it so much that it just lost its meaning and now you're a mess. You better hope that doesn't take place on a boat because it's going to sink, because it's so one-sided. I, I, I know that it can be really hard to use words to say, I love you, but it matters. It matters so much, and we need to be people who make that a regular part of, of our lives for those that, that, are, that are important to us. All right. The, the next thing that we see is that there's a real intentionality uh, that ascribes value. The words, it's not just, hey, you're good. Hey, I love you. But, but there's some real thought behind these words uh, that, that Isaac gives to Jacob, that Jacob gives to his sons, that uh, all through Scripture, that just very intentional wording. Um, one of the things that you'll notice now for Isaac, it, he says, you're, you're like a field that the Lord has blessed. Then Jacob goes on, his name becomes Israel. He goes on to bless his children by naming comparisons. He uses word pictures. Um, he calls once and you're like a wild donkey. Now, I don't know what that means or whether that's good, but it's a comparison. Another one, you're, you're like a viper. Uh, he has a word picture for almost everyone. And we see this all through Scripture. Jesus does this. <clears throat> he sees Peter. He says, you know what? You're not, you're not. Uh, your new name is Peter, which meant Rocky. Because you're a rock. God often will rename someone based on some attribute that he's pleased with or that he wants to see. We need to not only say good job and not only say I love you, but to be very... Uh, thoughtful by creating comparisons. I know that like for my kids, and I don't do this as well as I would like to come up with those meaningful comparisons, but, but for us, it's a beast. You know, it's not just, man, you did great in there in the batting cage. It's you are a beast. And, and then there are times where I'll hear Elijah say, was I a beast? It, it's because those kinds of comparisons matter. Now, you're wondering, why is that guy up there? Nope, I need that back. Does anybody know who that is? Uh, oh, the basketball player. Very good, Becky. Um, that is Chuck Person. Chuck Person, one of my favorite basketball players growing up. Chuck Person had a nickname. Anybody know Chuck Person's nickname? He was the Rifleman. And they called him the Rifleman because he could shoot. I mean, he did shoot the lights out from deep, like, you know. Way beyond the three-point arc, he was deadly, just 
boom, boom. And, and he played for the Spurs later on, and that was my, my favorite team to watch in high school. And, and, and I always thought, man, if I had a nickname, that, the Rifleman, that's a great nickname. And, and we see this in sports all the time, comparisons. It's like it's one thing to say, oh, he's really good at, at, at three-pointers. It's another thing to call him the Rifleman. The well-thought-out nickname, there's just something to that. Oh, the Rifleman. And so it's important that we not only do the bare minimum of verbal blessing, but that we also um, work hard to create those that were, that were thoughtful, um, to formulate something of meaning. Because these are the things that, that stick down deep and change our identity. When we hear these words, when we hear the specifics of what is blessed in us, it, it's a, it, it makes a big difference. Now, also in, in these blessings is, 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 um, is the promise or prediction of a special future. May your brothers bow down to you. Or when God comes to Abraham, he says, you will be a, a nation of people that is, is blessed. Or, or when, um, when, when Israel sits, sits down with his children, he calls out a future for all of them. Um, it's not enough to just say you're good. There's something extra special about telling someone, and I believe that you're going to do great things. I believe that you're going to do big things for God. Or here's something that you're good at, and I know that you're going to do this with it. I, back in, in, um, in the darker days of Polaris, in the 2009 era, uh, when we were recovering from just very difficult times. There's a crazy guy named Dennis Kubitz, and I love Dennis. Um, Dennis just sits around and prays all day. <clears throat> um, but I trust that he hears from God, and he came in and he talked. He said, I got to talk to the staff. So he comes in. He doesn't go to Polaris. He goes, um, I think he's with Cornerstone in Medina. But he comes in, and, and, and we're sitting around the table, and as a staff, we're just trying to figure out, man, what are we doing? I was brand new in the lead pastor role, clueless, and, and we were all just reeling from, from difficult situations at Polaris. And he sat us down, and he says, God has said this to me if he said anything to me. Polaris is going to be at the forefront. You are going to be a blazing spiritual light. You are going to be the cog that rotates everything around you. God will do this through you. And we all just kind of sat there thinking, I, I think, did you check the address? I, I think you got the wrong. That was a very meaningful moment for us to hear somebody say, you will do great things for God. I mean, in a moment when we were pretty broken up, God brought Dennis to show us a picture of a special future, and, and it meant the world to us. We need to be a people who speak these kinds of things into the lives of our children, into the lives of our parents, into the lives of our spouses, into the lives of our friends, other people in this church. This is the kind of powerful blessing that, 
that God envisions. I mean, can, can you imagine if we all got really good at this? Everybody would want to be a part of this culture. If you know, man, I'm going to go there and I'm going to have, uh, I, I'm just going to be blessed up one side, down the other, energized, because here's the thing. The world's going to do its job. The, the world's going to do its job um, to, to beat us down throughout the week. We need a constant source of encouragement. Now, one last part of this is, um, is a commitment to follow through, a way to say, you know what, I'm in it with you. I think about Braveheart and how he stirred up his troops and, and he was there fighting alongside of them. Not only did he bless them, not only did he encourage them, but he was right there and, and in the lives of others. It's not enough just to bless and just to, hey, you're going to be great. See ya. We're in it together. And when a community is built around that, it's unstoppable. And that's what God sees. Now listen, uh, come on up, Brian. Um, I, I, want to, uh, I want to talk with Brian for just a few minutes here because I know that, that words matter. Uh, you, you're a guy who, who carefully chooses your words. And I always know, always, irritating as it may be, that I'm going to get the truth from Brian laughing. Talk with us real quick now. I, I've been a part. I've got to see you bless both of your boys. Um, and I know that it's a lifelong, it's been a lifelong. I remember one Polaris picnic when I think Brandon, your oldest son, was, was probably a senior. I mean, he was into his teens. And, and, um, and you just, well, he, you guys were just standing around and you just walked over to him, grabbed him, kissed him on the side of the cheek, and stepped back. And he just stood there. Because that was a regular part. I mean, I know that, that blessing your voice has been an important part of your life. How do you feel having done that, having given that gift to your voice? <coughs> um, it, it wows my heart. I know that, that they know um, that, that I love them, that I'm there for them. But I, I would, it would be remiss. I would feel terrible having not taken those opportunities to let them know how I feel about them. And, and there's, there's one thing, both boys, and, and Tyler's now involved in track and sports, and both of them were in other activities, and there, there's a big difference between saying, you know, wow, you did really good at track, and wow, you did well, you ran hard, you worked hard. It, there's a difference between that and saying, you know, I, I love you, I care about you, you are a good person um, at, at heart. Uh, you made, the, you know, I appreciate your decision, appreciate your honesty. So there's a difference about talking about accomplishments and who they are as a person. And, and that's my job, that's my role, that's my heart, is to build into the lives of my boys and, and others when I get the opportunity. Okay, so having, I mean, you, you, you've taken on a mentoring role in the lives of, of many um, men. Um, when you hear this stuff, have you seen any kind of correlation between a man's ability to thrive, um, the, the, the blessing side, his ability to then bless? Uh, what do you hear when, when you hear this stuff and see this stuff in Scripture? Well, I hear that uh, first and foremost, you know, our, our family unit 
is, are the first people who can say, I value you, I affirm you, I appreciate you, you're a good person, um, and, and build you up in that way. People that generally didn't get that or don't have that struggle to find out, find that acceptance, find out who, who they are and that, that inner strength um, in their life. Because too often, and I do it now, uh, even um, I get wrapped up in myself, um, my problems, my issues, and things like that. But it's, it's a blessing to step outside of that and, and look at other people and seek out their value. Um, people that don't have that, don't feel that core, it's, it's even more difficult for them to, to think outward and, and give into the lives of other people. So you would agree, huge deal, this, this blessing thing. Yes. Okay, one last thing. Um, you just lived it. You just brought it up here. Um, you proved yourself as one who does this and values this. If you had one opportunity, because you do, because you have the microphone, what are you saying to us today? <coughs> I'm saying that I, I know in my life, my words, <laughs> my words are, are usually either helpful or hurtful. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Very, and sometimes they're, they're neutral or, or people don't, don't listen. But we, we have, the, <laughs> have the opportunity. Um, to, are you, our words have impact. I mean, there's, it, words, and I really thought this one. Words are a window or a door into a person's heart. Words let others see who you are and how you feel about them. And they allow you to see others and how they feel about you. Um, Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So again, it's, it's helpful or hurtful. Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. James also says and, and warns us, uh, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. So I think it's a, it's a conscientious thing. You have to think conscientiously about your words, what you're saying to other people, um, because it does impact the lives of other people. Thanks, Brian. Thank Appreciate you. you. <clears throat> so here's the deal. Let me close with this. Um, that I, I think that all of this is fairly obvious. I mean, not too many people saying, no, that's not right. But but I know that, that this kind of a thing can be can be agonizing. Um, if you, you either can or can't, um, or will or won't, or it's either easy or hard. Um, but I, I really want to challenge you that if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't have a choice in this. You can't say you follow Jesus and not do what he did. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see... Um, God in the flesh who took very seriously the call to encourage, uh, to touch, to bless. And so we have to. So you, you, you got to try it. You got you to fight your way through to be obedient. And, and one, one last word. And I, this is just kind of a deep down thing that I feel like I need to say. If you live with somebody who this is not good, who, who aren't really great with this stuff, and you see them trying because they're being obedient to something that's very hard for them, I would implore you to respect what they're doing and not say something to take the awkwardness out, like, oh, somebody's listening to the sermon. That could be devastating to somebody who's stepping out and doing something that is not their native tongue. So um, 
we have to get good at this and we have to have environments that allow us to get good at this. And again, I, I know that this can be really difficult stuff, but we got to be obedient. <clears throat> okay, I need to switch gears entirely and talk about um, some generosity stuff with Polaris. Um, God is calling us to be a generous church, and we know that. Um, we know that we can't give the everything to everything, or else we would no longer exist because we gave away everything. We know that we can't give something to everything, or it would be such a small amount that it wouldn't make a difference. Um, but we also know that we can't do nothing about everything. We have to figure out what are the things that God is calling us to. And, and so, we're here, we've been here a year, we're established and settled. Uh, financially, you have all been very consistent, and so we are healthy financially. Um, this past week, I got an email from a, a trusted friend and mentor <coughs> who leads building churches in third world poverty. Now, Compassion International, we know that 19,000 children die every single day of completely preventable poverty-related causes. You basically fill up the sanctuary with kids 40 times over. That's how many children die every day of completely preventable poverty-related causes in the third world. Compassion International is an organization that, that is complete faith goes in and does something. They release children from poverty. A couple years ago, we made an investment in one church uh, in Ecuador. We, we know that in the poorest places in Ecuador where children are dying daily, there is no church. Compassion partners with churches. They go into the church building, provide their $250 million organization worth of education and uh, medicine and training um, to truly release children from poverty and empower families to move on and get out of poverty, um, they bring real hope and Jesus into places that don't have it. The problem is there are no churches for them to partner with to use as a covering in the poorest places of Ecuador. So they're desperately trying to get churches planted in these places. It costs $80,000 to fully resource a new church to build the building and resource it for the first few years and from day one Compassion International goes in and rescues these kids and my friend said we have 500 children lined up 500 children with no hope in places where there are no churches we need to raise $160,000 to build two churches so that Compassion can do their thing here in these places. Now, a couple years ago, we gave like $8,000. It was our lobby renovation money back in the cinema, and we gave that away, and we saw God bless us in very real ways. Um, I see Greg Nettle back there. I need him in here to tell this story. Um, <clears throat> we're praying through what to do. One of the things that I know we need to do is we had money set aside for some new doors. I think we need to send it. Um, but I also know that we need to do some other things. Um, we're, we're just praying through what to do and how generous we need to be. 
And I think the best things that are, things will happen best when we're in this all together. And so I just want to join together now and pray for what does God want with this opportunity and with many others. So will you stand and let's pray um, together as we just try to seek God for what's next with Isaiah 58 here. Father, first of all, thank you for blessing us with an identity and with a special future that's linked together with you. And part of our identity that you've called us to is to be a generous church, generous followers of Jesus. And there's so much need around us. Help us to see very, very clearly what we need to be a part of and to be completely obedient to that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.